Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to once again tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you on the journey where you find those mastermind experiences, whether you encounter somebody who gives you that idea that transforms your trajectory, whether you have that private mastermind conversation you sit in on where you find yourself inspired. And what's going on while that's happening? Do you hear birds chirping in the background? Do you hear a cat meowing in the distance, a car driving by, ambient noise from the next next table? These things do not happen in sterile recording studios. They happen in the world, and that's where we go. As my show follows my laptop lifestyle, today we are broadcasting from my high-tech studio, which is my sumptuous Las Vegas balcony here in what I call the hottest city in America. Today, we are going to discover some priceless insights on creating creating the conditions for a culture of belonging in the workplace. And I would argue that the word workplace itself is undergoing a huge evolution. We may cover some of those insights as we go along, but right now I kind of want to just get us diving into what we're doing here and introduce today's very special guest. Our guest is DDS Dobson-Smith, a licensed therapist, author, executive coach, speaker on leadership and growth, and a Reiki master, all in service of helping others grow and become who they are. They are the founder and CEO of Soul Trained, an executive coaching and leadership growth consultancy. Their new book is called You Can Be Yourself Here, Your Pocket Guide to Creating Inclusive Workplaces by Using the Psychology of Belonging. You can discover more about all this at DDS's website, which is www.soultrained.com. That's spelled S-O-U-L-T-R-A-I-N-E-D.com. But with that... DDS Dobson Smith, come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> it's lovely. It's lovely to be here, Adam. Thank you. All right. I just read off your official bio. There's so much to impress there that I'm not even sure I'm worthy to be in your presence. And this is my show. So <laughs> let's discover a bit more about that. I read off yeah. the official bios, I always do. And then the first question we share on every episode is we invite you as a guest. Tell us a bit in your own words about what it is about your journey, about your experience that's brought you to where you are, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Hmm. Well, first of all, Adam, I, w- I would say you are worthy. Um, I, um, I, you're worthy anyway. And I eat, sleep, and poop just like everybody else. Um, uh-huh. So 
irrespective of the qualifications and the experience, I'm still a human who's doing their very, very best to make their way through this world. And sometimes I do it well, and sometimes I do it less well. Yeah. Um, so, um, so that's that's an important thing, and I, and I think that 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 perspective also tells you a little bit about you know who I am, and you know I, I guess in direct response to your question, how did I how did I get here? What's the what's the journey, and you know what what has led to having these perspectives? You know, I'm I'm um, I'm a I'm a 48 year old uh, queer uh, non-binary white person who was uh, assigned male at birth. I, um, I'm an immigrant into the US from the UK. I've lived here for 10 years uh, with my husband. Um, and, uh -huh. and, and so that will tell you a lot about my lived experience as a person. I think with the, with the book, um, the book really came from, from two places. The book that I've recently published called You Can Be Yourself Here came yeah. from two, two places, a 25-year-long career that I had before I started Soul Trained, um, my executive coaching consultancy. My 25-year-long my career was in, in learning and development, org psych, org transformation roles that was really focused on creating cultures and climates where people could thrive, survive and thrive. Um, and um, with a particular focus on creating companies where people could be themselves. And then I have my own lived experience as a queer person in this world who has been told um, more than several times over the course of my career to, you know, I've, I've been told, you know, could you could you tone it down a bit? Could you be a bit less this, a bit less that? Um, and all very coded in in the space of could you be less gay? And it, and it wasn't. Uh -huh really wasn't until maybe five years ago when I was in a C-suite position myself where I where I felt like I had the confidence because of the position that I carried when somebody said to me you know DDS before we go into this meeting I just you know I think it's important that you just perhaps just you know tone it down a bit I'm like and at that, that point I was like what do you mean tone it down and they said well you know could you be just a little bit less effusive I'm like what do you mean by effusive and I knew full well what they meant and so it, I just wanted, yeah I wanted yes, to if I may even if I didn't know the context I would know where they were going I mean it's right. pretty blatant yeah right and and so it wasn't and, it, and at that point what while I felt the confidence I said well what what do you really mean and, and they said to me well could you be a li little bit less gay and I looked them straight in the eyes and I said could you be a little bit less straight if you can do that, I'll, I'll be less gay. And they looked at me and said, I don't, I don't know what you mean. And, and I said, exactly. And, and I know I'm not alone in that experience. And it's not just a queer experience. It's a, a person of color experience. Could you be less black? Could you be less Asian? It's a female experience. Could you be less emotional as a woman? You know, it's a, it's a neurodivergent experience. Could you could you please behave a little bit more professionally? And I've had enough of that. I've had enough because when people in positions of power ask people in positions of subordination to be less than, to cover up, to not be themselves, that is not only damaging at a very, very deep psychological level, it's damaging from a corporate performance perspective as well. Yeah, well, 
here are some of my thoughts on that. And I'm actually so glad that we're discussing this openly. Uh, I appreciate you sharing your, how do we say, your demographic information, Uh, where you come from, how you identify and things like that. Absolutely. So I myself am a native born United States citizen. And I tell you, when that flag goes up the pole in the morning, I go with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) I, uh, (laughs) I, I've been described as a raging heterosexual, <laughs> and, uh, and I could go on and I could go on and on here. Uh, and but at the same time, you would think, and they would say that you and I should be opposites; that okay. we should be placed by default in anti- antagonistic camps. And I don't think that's the case at all. Now, I. I fully understand, actually. By applying different experiences I have, I mean, let's just focus on you identify as queer and you identify as gay and all that, uh, what it means to be in uh, what's called a heteronormative culture. So I know how it feels to be within an organized religion that tells me how I'm supposed to believe certain things and approach certain things. I know what it's like to belong to a political party where if I speak with intelligence and analysis, they say, oh, you must not really believe what we say. You must be one of those those radical leftist snowflakes. And I've gotten (laughs) that. I've also I've also infiltrated the other side and been called every uh, version of uh, fascist murderer and everything Mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. It's uh, and. I love when I get to have these types of conversations with folks who are different than me, who mm-hmm. uh, are in, to use another colloquialism, check off different boxes than I do. Yes. And what's beautiful yes. about it is how we find out how similar we really are. Yeah. Yeah. And what I, and what I mean by similar is our ability to view the world as we see it through our eyes in the lens of our own truth. And yeah. discover that, and this is just my view, and I want you to challenge this and poke holes in it if you believe I'm off base and it's okay and it's my show and you can do it, is that I find that the more I speak with people, regardless of whether they're like me, different than me, um, same views, different views, that by and large, there's at least an area of common ground when it comes to the what and the why. But where we tend to diverge is the how and by whom, and the divergence is called caused by whoever's paying for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I I I want to. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing yourself with me and and letting me know what your social location is, um, at, because I I don't think we should be scared of having, and by we, I don't mean me and you, I mean we, the human race, I don't think we should be scared about difference. And I think when we are scared about difference, that drives a certain set of behaviors. And those those are the behaviors that lead to argument, violence, um, division, separation, right? Like if we can just accept that I am me and you are you, and we're never going to be the same, even if we belong to the same political party, 
to the same religion, to the same community, or this, or we are of this uh, of a same of the same race. So I, I think that's important, right? The the need for us to belong. We're relational human beings. We develop in relation, in relationship, and development happens across our lifespan. And so when we aren't in relationship and we don't get to develop, that that's that's a problem. And I think the need, you know, our need to belong, and in fact. We des- our, our deservance of belonging transcends genders, geographies, generations, races, political beliefs, religious beliefs. Uh, our need, need to belong is one of the things that every single human being shares. And I think it's, it's, it's that simple. Um, and so I, I, I love the idea of you, uh, the fact that you, you and I are, are sharing that we are different and yet we have so much in common. I think the other thing though, that we have to acknowledge when we're having conversations about diversity or equity, inclusion and belonging, we have to acknowledge our history and we have to acknowledge the damage that has been done in the past um, to people of color, um, to queer people, to women, to disabled people um, at the hands of people that have, um, and I'm not saying, you know, not saying all, all of us, but at the hands of people that are white, are male, are cisgender, are, are straight, are, are non-disabled. And acknowledging that harm and acknowledging the past, um, it, it can, can, can be really, pro- really hard for some people because it brings up feelings of shame and guilt and anger. And that shame, guilt and anger, we don't like to feel it. We don't like to experience those emotions. So in our bid to not experience those emotions, we, don't, we end up not having the conversations that we need to have in order to bring about greater awareness, empathy, and understanding of of each other's experience. And I think the other thing that I would layer into that is that that harm that seems that that is in the past is also in the present. You know, there is still uh, around the country and around the world, legislation, uh, policy, process that exists at a government state and county level that actively continues to subjugate and oppress people from um, historically excluded communities. So that is real and so is our humanity. That is also real. And it's not an either or for me. It's like, how can we include all of this in the conversation so that we can move forward together? Yeah, I'm going to say something. It's almost going to sound like a cliche to some or it might sound like a truism. But my belief in diversity and inclusion is we are all in diverse and we're all included. I, uh, a colleague of mine did a, a presentation, uh, some sort of a webinar presentation or something in collaboration with two other people. I think it was about six months ago. And they, I saw the presentation myself and I think they did a very good job of being inclusive and represented 
representative when it came to the images of people that they used on the various slides. And they had one member of their 200 member audience want to start a fuss because after they, I think they included every single possible combination, permutation, and ideation of a human being you could possibly come up with within their 35 different slides. The 35th slide showed a white man. Like he was the only white guy in the presentation. Mm -hmm. But they, they said that that was an example of just a, yet another example of uh, how you even, even you oppress us. And the person who designed the slide said, come on, man, what, are you kidding me? I, I mean, in your view, based on what I told you, what do you think happened there? Well, I'm not, I'm not really sure because I, because I wasn't there. So yeah. If the, was there a complaint from a white person that there was only one white person in a slide deck? It was a complaint from a white person that the person, that the, the 35th of the 35 slides used a royalty-free stock image of a white man. Only white man in the entire deck. But it was the fact that it was in the last slide. I guess their point was, gee, when you come down to it, I, I don't know. I'm, I mean, this is this is one, and and you know, if we want to get into diversity, I'm not going to say the different, uh, you know, the different uh, social. What was that term you used? Social, social location. Social locations. Yeah. Uh, the three people doing the presentation have all radically different social locations from each other, so it's mm -hmm. not like there was one norm or one classification there. Mm -hmm. uh, and even all three of them agreed that this is just a little bit ridiculous. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know the point that was trying to be made. Um, Neither did they, so that's okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, I, you know, I think we've, we've made, in recent years, we have made a number of advances in terms of representation. And, and what I mean by representation is... It's now um, not uncommon to, to see people of color portrayed in, in movies and in TV shows, in main starring roles, in hero roles, in, um, you know, in, in roles where the main character succeeds and wins, which is in stark contrast, and the same with queer characters, but it's in stark contrast to what it used to be like, where if there if there if there was a person of color or a queer person or a trans person featured in TV or in adverts or in movies, then they would be in the one down position. You know, they would be in the underdog position, and that's shifted and and um, and it is shifting um, because predominantly in the movies or on the TV or in adverts or in pop music videos. It, it is white people. It is straight people that are have been predominantly represented. So um, I, I often hear, uh, you know, it, it's like, um, you know, it's, it's Pride Month right now around the world in June. Right. And every time it's Pride, there's somebody that says, why don't we have a straight Pride? 
Um, and, and I and I, you know, I see the retorts to why don't we have a straight pride as being straight pride is July through May. Um, and um, or why don't we have a straight pride parade? And I saw somebody the other day saying, isn't a straight pride parade just called traffic? Um, because the predominant, like the predominant message out there invisibilizes the experience of, and the livelihoods of people, real people who are black or brown or indigenous or Asian, or who are queer or who are women as well. Like these get these experiences get invisibilized. So when I, if, if this white person was complaining that there was only one white person in a presentation, I'm like, well, about time, right? Like, because for years, here's a black person or an Asian person or a brown skinned person or an indigenous person never seeing themselves on a slide never seeing themselves in a book, never seeing themselves in a cartoon or in a movie. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that was the point this, this white person was, was making, but um, I think, you know, there's a, all of those social dynamics that are at play that are beginning to shift, I think are the important focus. Yeah, I think I, I think I see what you're, what you're saying there. And you also mentioned earlier that there could be a reaction of fear. Like, uh, like let's say, for example, for a straight person who says, why can't we have a straight month? I mean, I can also see the point that they're saying, well, what, being straight is bad now? <laughs> right. Um, no, I mean, I I'm glad there are straight people. I wouldn't be alive if there weren't straight people. Yeah, that's... Uh, well, however, I do know gay people who've reproduced naturally. I mean, and, it is, and, believe it or not, possible. <laughs> right. I mean, in in I mean, at the moment, as it stands, one needs an an egg and a sperm in order to create um, in order to create a baby. And so, uh, true, you don't need to be straight in order to create a baby. Thank you for well, correcting me. <laughs> Well, well, sure. Well, sure. Sure. I'm just, uh, yeah, I just wanted to point that out because I know people personally is all. So this is a, this has been a great dive into this level of conversation. And I'm so glad that we've been able to have a DDS. And the reason is, again, as I said, quite simply, if I believe that a lot of our solutions can begin to happen, if we look at what divides us, and find out why it's dividing us. And the answer to that, in my view, is usually follow the money. Somebody wants us to keep us at each other's throats so they can profit off of it. However, yeah. when we have conversations with each other, again, I think we find that we're at least somewhere in the same book or at least, a, you know, at least the same chapter, if not the same page, about mm -hmm. the what and the why. It's the how and by whom is where we tend to diverge. Mm -hmm. And that narrative is often paid for by somebody who profits off of it. But when we can have the conversations, we find that whether you want to call it a common ground, an area of understanding, or an appreciation, we can see that, you know, really, get rid of the rhetoric and get rid of the, the narrative, and you find that we're all human beings who have brilliance and passion and, and aspirations and goals, 
And we actually end up having more in common, even if socially we identify different ways. I would agree. Yeah. Uh, So now let's uh, move this into the workplace a bit. One of the things you shared with us in the green room, and I've been itching to ask you about this, is you have something called the belonging equation. And you wanted to share, you know, we wanted to define that and then share with us how that impacts workplace performance. Because I'd like to take what we've discussed so far in our first half and apply that to how that impacts performance. So take it away. Yeah, thank you. So, you know, I, I talk about um, diversity, inclusion, and belonging, um, and that, that diversity plus inclusion um, might lead to belonging. Now, what, what do I mean by that? I, belonging is an experience. Um, oh, let me start at the front. Like, diversity is a fact. You, you, you diversity either is on or it is off. Um, you either do have a diverse organization or you don't. And, you know, the way you can determine that you, if you look around, do you see people that look like you and are like you? Yes. Do you see people that aren't like you, don't look like you? Yes. Chances are, if you've answered yes to both of those questions, that there will be some diversity in your organization. Sure. Inclusion is a is a behavior and what i mean by that is that in the 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 organizational behavior so the policies protocols processes platforms that that um uh, an organization uses in its day-to-day going about doing its business do are they set up to include and involve um the diversity that has been recruited and also the behavior of the leaders of an organization. So I've I've long long said that the climate of any organization will be shaped by the worst behavior you're willing to tolerate in a leader. And if a leader of an, of an organization of whatever level is only paying lip service to diversity, inclusion, and belonging, um, then that will that will echo through the organization. And, yeah. and you can have a diverse organization. But if it's not set up to behave in an included way, all of those people that have been so-called diverse hires will not experience inclusion and will go and find they'll they'll vote with their feet and they'll go and find a place where they can experience inclusion. So if you've got diversity and inclusion, likelihood is that you will get belonging and belonging is an is an experience. It's an embodied uh, cognitive affective experience that you know we've all been in a situation where we've walked into a room and thought to ourselves I do not belong here that usually happens to me when I walk into a sports bar I'm like this is not this is not (laughs) oh my oh my goodness we have this in common Uh, (laughs) when I go when I go into when I go into a sports bar it's like well first of all uh, me being so introverted that they actually had to create a new category on the left side of that uh, spectrum, which is probably the <laughs> only thing that I'm left on, believe me. And I just do that in because, just because, is, uh, is, uh, it's like, uh, it's crowded, it's noisy. And, oh, you want to have these people who really want to talk about sports. I mean, I'll be hanging out places sometimes and not even sports bars and people try and ask me about like, I went to Penn state university. So people say, Hey, what do you think of your Nittany lions? And say, I don't know. I didn't catch a game. Well, don't like, no, I don't really follow football. I didn't follow it when I was a student either. So I don't really know. 
And they take that as a cue to start asking me about, well, when they played Michigan State last week, uh, did you see how so-and-so got that touch? It's like, <laughs> okay, you do understand this possible to have a conversation without sports, please? Okay, I had to throw that in because I was like, please continue. Yeah, I'm very much with you. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, we've had those experiences when you walk into a place or you're in an experience or you're with a certain set of people and you're like, I don't fit here. You feel it in your body. You feel it. You think it in your head, and you feel it in your in your in your emotions. The same with when you do belong. So that's why I talk about it as being an experience. So you can't have belonging without inclusion, and you can't have inclusion without diversity. Which is why, but but you can have diversity that doesn't always lead to inclusion. Yeah. Right. So that's why I say diversity plus inclusion gives you the best chance of equaling um, uh, belonging. That's the, that's the equation. Right, right. And when you follow what you just said a little bit further, this is where you get phrases like token hire or diversity hire. There you go. And, uh, they, and, and unfortunately, folks who find themselves in that situations find themselves included out. So going back to the sports bar analogy, Hey, if I walk into a place that I like, I'm walking down the street here in Las Vegas and I see this storefront and I say, oh, this seems like a happening joint. Let's check it out. And I go inside and I find out it's another damn sports bar. Well, I can just say, eh, on second thought, let's just go somewhere else. Easy. But it's not so easy to say, oh, I'll just go somewhere else to your workplace. Agreed. I mean, it, it kind of, it kind of, it's relatively easy to say that, as we've seen with the great, so, the so-called great resignation. At oh, the we're get, oh, we're getting there in just a minute. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, like, you know, it, 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 it isn't that easy just to leave, leave, a, leave employment as it is to leave a sports bar or, or leave a gay bar or leave a insert word where we don't feel like we uh-huh. Because, you know, I mean because we've got responsibilities to pay the rent or pay the mortgage or feed the kids or feed the cat, you know, like it's just, it's not, Uh it's not, it's you, you can't just make those kind of decisions on a whim. So yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, certainly. And uh, you know, my first experience in a, in a gay bar is when I was at Penn state, actually, I believe it was uh, St. Patrick's day and it was on the tail end of a bar tour. And I was, actually so blasted I didn't know where I was until somebody told me and I remember at the time uh both in my drunken state and then when I reflected on it after I sobered up was oh that's cool that was about it it's like there was no connotation hanging over it it was just another place to hang out right exactly yeah uh for the late 1990s uh some people called that advanced thinking and some but people called it suspicious thinking (laughs) like oh so you like to hang out in gay bars huh (laughs) now even at the time i was a bit of a provocateur and i said sure want to go just just to see where they were going with all this because i already knew the punchline yeah but yeah the, the more we can get rid of stuff like that i think we'll be better off and and I loved, again, you bring up the sports bar analogy, because I think when we can find things that help other people understand 
what it's like to be in a social setting or an environment that sets something else other than themselves up as the norm or being normative, how it feels to be the odd person out, uh, the odd man out, the odd woman out, whatever phraseology you want to use. Like, yeah, um, in a sports bar, I actually find myself physically uncomfortable and I need to get the hell out of there. Right. It's not a matter of, oh, I'll just, I'll just roll with this. Like, no, get me out of here. I need to go to a library right now. <laughs> yeah. So easy to, easy to say in a sports bar, not so easy to say in your workplace. However, uh, you know, this whole thing about the great resignation. Now, I've, now I, this is something I study a lot. I love this topic. And I think it's been so long in coming for so many reasons we may or may not get through in the time we have left here. But I do want to dive into this. Uh, I've heard it called the Great Resignation. I've also heard it called the Great Reorganization, where what's ultimately happening is it's a game of musical chairs. And when it's all said and done, people are just going to find themselves in jobs, careers, and running businesses that they like more than they had before. Now, you, DDS, are calling it the Great Realization. And I'm on the edge of my seat for this. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I, this this kind of narrative that's come along with the great resignation, you know, I'm hearing a lot of CEOs and CHROs, chief talent officers saying that there is a, a shortage of, of talent in, in, the, in the workforce. And I don't think that's true. And the reason why I don't think that's true is, you know, I, uh, the, the, there's no matter who you are around the world, no matter where you come from, uh, whatever your social location, the last two and a half years have been chronically traumatic in various different ways. Yeah. Whether, you know, whether you have been directly affected by all of the things that have, have happened with COVID or with the social injustices that have been happening with uh, the uptick in school shootings, the, like it's all like it's just chronically traumatic for the human race. And I think as a, as a result of this kind of chronic trauma, many people have been asking themselves some very deep existential questions. And one of those questions that has been to do, like that has been to do with your vocation, your profession or your career. And people have been asking themselves, is how I'm spending my time in my profession and career worth my while? Am I doing that which lights me up? Am I doing uh, what I want to be doing. And some people have said no. And those people have made some significant changes. They've, you know, either done a career change or they've stepped off the career treadmill altogether and gone and done something, you know, they've gone to eat, pray, love in Bali or whatever. I don't know. But then there's, then there is a group of people that have said, actually, yes, what I'm doing in my profession and career is aligned with my purpose or it, it feels good. And so then they've asked themselves a the question is where I'm doing it, where I want to do it is the location in which I'm doing what I'm doing for my professional career, bringing me um, meaningful work that is in alignment with my purpose. And, and am I experiencing belonging? And for those people that have answered the question no to that answer, 
they've, you know, they, they have voted with their feet and they've gone elsewhere. And so I don't think it's a shortage of talent. I think it is that talent has become more discerning and that talent are asking different questions of their current and prospective employers. <clears throat> and they are, they are discerning where, where to take their, th themselves and their skills and their soul and their spirit um, and, um, and their energy. Um, and they are looking for places where they can experience meaning, purpose and belonging. That's why I call it the great realization. People are realizing that they deserve and, and desire more or different. For years, I've been citing statistics that show if you have, now I understand that there are certain types of industries and professions where it's necessary to work to and from a certain time. Uh, industry, uh, public service positions. Mm. Uh, and if you have a 24 hour organization of any type, or even an eight-hour organization of any type, somebody has to be there to answer the phone, particularly the customer support or the tech support. All that being so, so in some cases, shift work and defined hours are and being in a physical location to perform a task are necessary. However, I believe that tenets of the Industrial Revolution have also been applied to a lot of things where being in a physical location from X time to Y time is not necessary. I've been saying for years that that was a dam that was going to burst. And I believe the part of what they call the great resignation mm. was just that. I've been saying mm. statistics for years that show that certain types of knowledge workers and office workers who are in that, you know, nine to five with an hour for lunch, two man to 15 minute breaks and they're assigned there, <laughs> they're cubicle from hell. Yeah. Uh, the actual average amount of time they spend during the day is in any way productive or valuable to the company is approximately two hours and 54 minutes. Right. What is, the what is the rest of the time spent on? Well, let's go down the list. Pointless meetings, water mm -hmm. cooler chatter, mm -hmm. uh, tasks that have no value, complying with roles that were permanent overreactions to temporary blips on the radar screens, often promulgated by people with the word chief in their title uh who just wanted to show off that they have power and um and then a lot of it is i actually got my work done in an hour and i gotta sit here and pretend like i'm not surfing on the internet for another three hours yes uh because i know that if i i know that if i were to point out that i was done with my work i would get punished in 10 different ways <laughs> that's what it's wasted on now yeah. part of what the great resignation it, I'm just going to stick with that term. And there's so many okay. different, just for the oh. simplicity for our audience. And I, and I, and I love your version of it and everything else, but you, you had this thing where uh, companies went from, well, we don't have work at home policies. We need our people come to the office. Well, that was yeah. shifted to, um, well, actually your people will work from home or you will not do business at all. So you had some of these companies that came up with ideas. All right, well, we're going to use softwares that will activate their webcam remotely. And we will require them to display a video feed of their environment. We're also oh, going to schedule. Shit. We're also going to schedule even more meetings just to tether them to their to their desk in their home office. And we're going to use softwares that will time their rate of response to random 
direct messages, Slack messages, messenger messages, whatever we send to them. And if it takes them more than 30 seconds to respond when they're not on their mandated lunch break, then we're going to penalize them. And folks looked at this uh, from their home offices and said, fuck this. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, okay, it was it was one thing when I was in your space, your corporate space, and you could tell me to go sit in my cubicle, but you ain't tell me what to do in my own damn house. Right, exactly. And so these companies, uh, you know, at the first opportunity, they would say, all right, well, uh, we're allowed to come back to the office. So I'll see you guys at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. And uh, the workers would say, oh, 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 not so fast. Yeah. Uh, before you say anything, I've been speaking with your direct competitor and they're, yeah. and I have an offer on the table from them right now, 10% increase in salary and I can work at home. So decision time, got 10 seconds. Right. We've seen this. Now, what I said is a slight dramatization, but actually not by much. And I think that was a form of people coming to terms with all this and saying, hey, is this really necessary? And it's also, whether you want to use the term a day of reckoning or realization or something that's been due for a long time that we've all needed for our own mutual benefits, Mm -hmm. companies recognizing, well, can people work from home? If I have somebody who's in my call center, as long as there's no noise in the background, does it matter where they're sitting? If they want to take an hour off and walk their dog or, or watch junk food TV or what have you, as long as they have a device with them and they get an alert saying that there's a new chat that's waiting their attention, as long as they respond to it promptly and are in it when they're in the conversation, is that good? Are we still serving the customer 100%? And if they can answer yes to these things, then... Why not? Mm-hmm. If you if you look at if you look at it, um, uh, there's uh, there's a, a, a name that a lot of people have heard. Um, Dan Scott, uh, I believe his name is the founder of Gravity Payments. He's a guy who uh, did the thing where he raised everybody you know, with. I think there were a few exceptions to, but in general, raised the minimum salary of everybody in his organization to seventy five thousand yep. dollars a year, and yep. he did. Um, some people call this guy a radical left-wing socialist, Bernie Krat, communist, what have you. I call him a ca- I call I call him a capitalist, and I'll tell you why. I think he's more capitalist than a lot of people who call themselves capitalists because he's figured out one thing that so many other organizations just don't get. Your employees will be so much more productive and will add so much more than two hours and 54 minutes of value to every day they work for you when they're not already stressed out from a commute, when they're not already worried about being held up at work and what that's going to do to their daycare situation. And they're also not having to fret over, will I be able to pay the electric bill and will I get to see my doctor? So you give them a, a wage or a salary that takes all those worries away and they will more than give that back to you in mm-hmm. value. So you have much lower retention and turnover rates because turn, as I say in my book so eloquently, turnover is a bitch on your bank accounts. And uh, you also have folks who are able to be fully leaned into what you're doing in your organization because their life stuff is not hovering over their head. 
If you if you're making seventy five thousand dollars a year versus twenty five thousand dollars a year, is it possible that you can just throw money at a lot of your problems and make them go away? To a degree, yes. Uh, you're not going to be worrying about things that might like the same level of existential things. So to me, that's capitalism. Now, the reason I bring up Dan is I don't have it in front of me, but he did a, a like a, a cocktail napkin math analysis showing that if we just simply took away the commute time that people put into getting to and from work, they're if you want to break whatever the salary is down to an average wage, it goes up by about a dollar and a half an hour mm. because of how much time is spent on commute and commute related activities, which would not be happening if they did not have to travel to work. Yeah. I mean, I mean, did you, did you, I mean, if you ever worked for a company, did you ever have a, a commute from hell personally? Oh Yeah. And and, yeah. and 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 did, did you feel like your life was just draining away? And by the time you finally arrived at the office at the beginning of your workday, you were already shot. Well, look, here's 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 the thing. Like, I, you know, I'm I am with you. Um, you know, all, all the way that yeah. I like the last the last two and a half years have proven that it is possible to run successful businesses with a, with a remote workforce. Yes. Thank like, God. For, yes. for knowledge workers and office workers, obviously there are some roles for the vast majority of Americans who are, you know, working in frontline customer facing, you know, in shops and restaurants and bars and in service <laughs> roles. We're not talking about that, that, that group of the workforce. We're talking about right. office workers and knowledge workers there have been businesses out there that have reported their most successful years during the time when the workforce wasn't in an office. So you, it, it is, it is no longer, it's no longer acceptable for an organization to say that you must be in the office. Where I come at this is that we have missed some things when okay. we're in a dispersed workforce um and and social cohesion social relationships is one of them um and so i i think that it is that the you know it when we see elon musk and the head of jp morgan chase saying people have to be in the office i when i when i look at them i'm just like what you're really saying is you don't like the loss of control I, I, I love Elon, but I got to tell you, and I've said that I love Elon, but I'm looking at that and I'm saying, what the hell, dude? Totally. I, yeah. I also really appreciate Elon. But when that when he said that, I'm just like, I, I just no, I'm not I'm not with you because look what's happened for the last two years. And, and tell me, tell me in that what what has been so gravely missing that means that you're that we're now saying that the last two and a half three years didn't happen and we need everyone to be be in an office it comes back to what you were saying before i think adam is this this idea of loss of control and yet there are certain things so if you we talk about the commute you know i'm i'm a licensed psychotherapist so i you know i work clinically with patients i'm also have my own executive consult consulting um uh, uh, coaching consultancy. And so I work a lot with leaders. 
and and it is a very real problem the loss of the commute has and and the working from home has led for many people to a collapse of boundaries and an enmeshment between what's work and what is not work and many people used to use the commute from hell to decompress um, or to follow up to triage emails um, or to get ready for their day at work and that 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 for many people that loss of the commute time has been filled with meetings and has been filled with work which means they've lost that decompression time where, which has seen an increase in intimate partner violence has seen an increase in people being dissatisfied with their home life because of the of the collapse of boundaries so i do see that there is value in reclaiming that time. And that doesn't mean to say you have to be on a commute, but there is a real value in reclaiming that time. Likewise, I think we have lost certain things around what, what happens when people gather in spaces, which is, you know, uh, free form idea generation um, or social cohesion and the development of relationships in a way that doesn't quite work the same as it does on Zoom or Teams or Google Meets. Yeah. So to me, the successful organizations aren't the ones that are going to say it is either all in the office or all out the office. It's the organizations that are going to reinvent their employee experience and enable their employees and their teams to work together in a hybrid format so that so that they say for certain types of work, we need to be co-located. We need to be in the same space, whether that is the curating a pitch or whether it's for onboarding or training sessions but for everyday meetings and for everyday grunt work you can as long as you've got a wi-fi connection as long as you can deliver your your service level agreements as long as you can deliver your accountabilities you can deliver that from anywhere in the world and be prepared to have to come to the office for these types of work and when we get better at structuring the way in which work is done, when we get better at classifying types of work that do need to, that would benefit from being in person versus virtual, right. then we have a much more compelling employee experience that is going to lead to greater productivity. And we know that greater productivity leads to greater profitability. Oh, certainly. And, uh, and all that stuff leads to reduced retention and turnover, which itself saves several fortunes for the organization and helps them make more fortunes. And I think this is a great place to wrap up because the way you describe this comes to one of the things I was hoping that we'd be able to surface in our conversation is that it's very rarely, and I'm going to use this term, which, you know, which our listeners by now are going to wonder why I haven't said it by now. It's very rarely a binary choice. Like, it's not a yes or a no. Uh, to me, it's if somebody gives me like some sort of binary choice, sometimes I just answer by saying yes mm -hmm. or saying no. Like, uh, okay, but you're supposed to pick, really? Why do I have to pick one? <laughs> why, why, can't, why can't I have both? Or mm -hmm. why do I have to have either? What, 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 what if maybe I like some from option A and some from option B, and I want to put these together and these elements combined are better than either A or B standalone. 
What, 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 what about that? Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing you say is, I mean, I myself, uh, you know, I love the idea of people not being chained into cubicle farms and things like that. Believe me, it, uh, it did feel that way when I worked in them. Uh, yeah. At the same time, I also recognize, and I knew you were going to get there eventually, that if you completely remove that human connection, you're going to miss out on other opportunities for growth, whether yes. it's in terms of uh, gaining greater appreciation for each other's social locations and finding strength in our diversity, or whether it's just uh, the ability to be in environments with people where you can interact with them using a combination of verbal and nonverbal cues involving their entire body that will facilitate greater conversation and understanding. Agreed. That's why people get zoomed out. All you see is the head and shoulders staring straight at you. The, you miss out on all the nonverbal cues, and that's why people get zoomed out, and that's why people get tired of being online to the point they literally can't think. Right. Yeah. So I want to make sure that all of our listeners are aware of your website, DDS. It's www.soultrained.com. It's a very great website. I've been there myself. And you can discover the various ways that folks can work with you. I also know you have a really cool podcast called, oh, and I love this name, by the way, Shift Happens. (laughs) (laughs) As as a practitioner of of provocation marketing and the use of and the use of double entendre as a as a as a means of influence, I as soon as I saw that, I'm thinking, yes, yes, I will, I will tune in and I will check out some of these episodes here. So uh, I know you do them occasionally and there are several up there right now. I'm going to check those out uh, in detail uh, next time I'm walking, jogging or traveling, but yeah, yeah, you can see a lot about UDDS, a lot about the various forms of coaching, leadership growth and your work with brand culture. And there may be other things as you continue to evolve the website, but yes, I do encourage everybody to visit this website. It's www.soultrained.com. And with that, DDS Dobson Smith, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me, an education. Thank you, Adam. It, It was a real joy to speak to you. So thank you for having me. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.